naturally, I um, I despise Man United and I despise this manager. Um. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Life is divided up into the horrible and the miserable. The horrible is Donald Trump, the people who still support him, and anyone who does not like Woody Allen movies. The miserable is the rest of us who spend time watching football during International Week. But look on the bright side. Uh, wait, no, there is no bright side. International football will always be with us, and America is going from hope to grope. Here to talk about all of that is Paddy Higgs. Hello. Fabian Gorsler. Yo. And Kasper Schmick. Hello. Before we let you all loose on the international scene, gentlemen, let me holler at our listeners with a quick request. Could you please go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast and leave a comment to let us know what you think about it. If you do so, God said he would stop the rain and give us a Bambi 20 degree weather for the rest of the year. I think that's a fair deal. Not bad. Not a bad deal at all. Casper, since we have you in the studio and we are biased towards Germany, let's trawl through the last two performances of the German team, starting with the win over the Czech Republic. It was 3-0 in the end. It was very easy, or at least they made it look very easy, didn't they? Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic performance uh, across, uh, across the entire team, actually. Um, starting from uh, the centre-backs, um, you know, sort of um, building up the game from, from the back um, and a masterful midfield performance, um, clinical in front of goal, although they could have scored more, but... They, uh, in both the performances, also against Northern Ireland, um, the German team has really improved on their on their sort of converting chances, um, uh, which was uh, the big issue at the Euros. Um, so, well, I think Löw and Bierhoff, they can already start um, scouting uh, locations um, in Russia uh, <laughs> for the team. Um, I mean, that group doesn't look too difficult in my eyes. Um, and um, I think we can take heart from the performances. One thing that was shown, though, um, there is still um, a need for a natural striker. Um, I hope that Mario Gomez is going to be back soon because um, you can clearly see that Goetze was somehow the odd one out who, yes, took part in the game and had a few good moves, but um, it's not his natural position. Okay, were you impressed with uh, Joshua Kimmich at right back? Because we had a talk about this. Was it last week we had a talk about this? Yeah, last week, yeah. Some people are not so sure that right back is where he should be. Well, I think right now um, he's the best option at right back, um, and he's he's you know he's quick going forward. He um, puts in some good crosses. Um, he doesn't put in too many mistakes, so I think um, he's a good choice at right back. Um, and I think in centre midfield, for example, there are much better options. Um, in German midfield, there's such an abundance of of riches. Um, it's um, it's outrageous, um, and also the young players coming through. Um, it's pretty outrageous um, what options Jogi Löw has there. So um, I think Kimmich is well placed at right back for now. We uh, I watched this match with uh, Nico Durbin, our fellow podcaster, and we were so interested in it that we started playing a game. Where um, maybe I could test it on you, actually, Paddy. Okay. Yeah, uh, Lewandowski or Muller. Lewandowski Really? Yeah Okay Yeah that's what I went with too Yeah <laughs> uh, Cruz or Ozil? Bugger This is this is unscripted I wasn't prepared for this no. uh, Ozil You're shaking your head Fabian 
I mean, Tony Kroos is so much better at controlling the game. I mean, sure, Mizut is the creative player who who plays the final pass, but the game is you know lost and won in the midfield or further back, and that's where Tony plays. So I would pick Tony Kroos. I mean, I take that point. I think it also this is a hard game because you would probably pick Urzul based on certain players around him. Um, whereas if you were going to take them isolated, like Fab just said, maybe Kroos would be the you know the one you would pick from a one-on-one point of view. I mean, the funny thing is, in in the teams that they play together, um, in German, in the German team, or Lewandowski and Müller and the Bayern team, they they play together. So I don't know why there has to be an either. Or, um, <laughs> It's a stupid game anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. But for example, Kroos and Gündogan, uh, that would be a better comparison. I think. Well, my next one was Kadira or Gündogan. Yeah, well then Gündogan. I had a Kadira. Yep. Not really. Yeah. Well, it depends on the on the shape of the yeah. team as well. If, yeah. I think Germany could could as well line up in a four three three, and then have Gundo, Kedira as the number six, and then Gundogan and Kroos. Yeah, I mean, alongside him. I think I think Kasper's right. I think you probably could have gone with Özil uh, or Draxler, for example, as a better as a better comparison, and, and Gundogan and uh, and Kroos. So, think okay. about your game next time, please. Did you want one more go at this? One more this? One more. Why one not? more this? Yeah. Boateng or Hummels? Uh, Boateng. Okay, you're all nodding. You're all nodding your head in agreement with Paddy on that. Just to go back to it, I would go for Kroos simply because I think he is the best passer of the ball in the world right now. I, I can't think of anybody else who who passes as beautifully as he does. It's, it's a decent goal, yeah. It's such a joy to watch. And this goal he scored, uh, such a trademark course, oh, wasn't it? Uh, he's done that a f- quite a few times. And I did that for Bayern against Arsenal. Remember that uh, for Real Madrid a couple of times. It's just okay. uh, yeah, lovely, beautiful. Uh, anything else? Anybody else wants to bring up from Germany, or shall we? That's probably about it, isn't it? Yeah. There's not really a huge amount more to say. I think one thing is, who could potentially be a striker um, that has a decent chance of, you know. Being up there for the German team, I don't, I don't see anyone really who, who has the potential in him. Um, we, you know, we, we had Klose, and then everybody thought, yes, Gomez, and Gomez has a fairly decent strike rate, but he hasn't lived up to the high expectations. So, I really can't see anybody who's older than 20 or sort of yeah, who, who could who could make it? David Zelke or somebody not good enough? Zelke, you know, it, it definitely isn't good enough at the moment. You would say he's the He's the most likely of a of a very unpredictable bunch at the moment. I mean, we're, you know, we're under two years out from the World Cup now, so um, there's not a lot of people actually really stepping forward to this to play that role. And I think that's sort of why um, Louv is is persisting with Gomez. Uh, sorry, with Götze in the hope that maybe one day that clicks. I think most of us don't believe that's going to be the case. Yeah. But Gomez isn't scoring goals at the moment, so what else is there? Yeah, I don't see anybody. Um, so that's a big. Big issue for Liv, I think, going forward. Uh, one of the more intriguing stories of the week came out of Spain with Gerard Piquet announcing his retirement. Paddy, what happened there? For the for the people who missed that, maybe you could recap it. Yeah, um, I mean, Piquet's had a, a very much, a, well, it's probably almost been a hate-hate relationship with the Spanish um, public, at least when it comes to the international um you know, uh, football of, of late. I mean, they had to move a game um, from Madrid to Alicante um, last year um, because they were worried about the, the booze that he would get. This all sort of stemmed from um, him sending some pretty 
obvious, uh, you know, barbs Real Madrid's way after a couple of results for Barcelona. Uh, and then on the weekend, he um, he altered his jersey. Um, he altered the long sleeve jersey to make the sleeves a bit shorter. Um, thus, um, a lot of people assumed that he'd, he'd also cut off the Spanish flag. It's proved that wasn't the case, but the... The outrage on on social media was um, it shows exactly where he's sitting is um, with the with you know Spanish fans at the moment and as a consequence, you know, it prompted him to announce his his retirement um, in 2018 or after the after the World Cup. So it's a bit of a sad way for this guy to be remembered because he's um, regardless of what you think of PK and and his personality and, and things like that, um, he's been involved in some of the best international teams of all time and um, and I think it's a it's a little bit sad that it's got to this point. There was one other thing he did. Apparently, he'd given the finger during the national anthem. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, they're they're analysing everything that PK does at the moment, and everything's being read into way too much. I'm not saying he's completely innocent from this. But, um, he's the sort of guy who, if you push him, he'll push back. He's not one to ignore that. Um, um, but this has been going on for a while, and I think we're probably sort of starting to see that he's he's had enough of it. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm I'm torn on PK. I really like how in a very sanitised sports world, he publicly states his political leanings. Sure. I think that's to be respected, but if you're going to do so on a sensitive topic like Catalan independence, then you have to expect there will be some people who disagree with you and criticise you. But surely if he were that upset about what he has got, he would just quit now. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really good point. I mean, why say, okay, that, that's it. I'm going to quit in 2018. You know, um, he obviously wants another go at a, at a big tournament, and that's fair enough. He's just a really polarizing figure, I think. PK he doesn't seem to have a lot of empathy. Um, he's pretty happy being PK as well, um, and I think that that rubs up that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, there was an article on the Guardian about it. I just want to read you one of the comments that was uh, made below the line. In any other po- in any other occupation or area of life, this kind of abuse suffered by PK Rooney, Sterling during the summer and so on would be considered bullying. Yeah, I mean, just quickly to PK, I don't think he has any intention to quit the national team. I think this is him, like you said, pushing back and saying, you know what, if you're going to keep abusing me, I can, you know, I can remove myself from the team and make the team worse because he is a very, very good player. So it's kind of like another barb, another PK thing to say, another thing to stir people up and piss people off. Um, but I mean, that, that comment is, uh, hits the nail on the head. These, these players do, you know, they have accepted a life and a career in the spotlight. They, um, know that they are seen as role models, whether or not they are, is a totally different discussion. But, um, you know, they know that they have certain responsibilities and have an image to uphold, you know, an image of themselves and for the club. Um, And these fans sometimes take it too far, though. And and it does, there's a fine line between criticism and bullying, but oftentimes, and I, I feel in PK's case as well, it does become bullying and um, that's not okay. But, you know, there's no way to stop it with the internet nowadays, Twitter, uh, anonymous usernames on on sites such as the Guardian or other um, other web pages. So, you know, it is a bit of these players need to have a thick skin. But like, how how do you stop unnecessary or over the top comments? Right, like what's happened to James Rodriguez? Exactly. I mean that that goes even further. His I th- I believe ESPN were reporting that his uh, mother received a box with bullets and a gun, 
and a message saying your son will be dead. So he was receiving death threats um, for leaving the Colombian camp to go back to Madrid since he had sustained an injury. He wanted to rehab that injury as quickly as possible and get fit. And one thing I don't understand is, you know, sure, he can watch the game from the stands, but that doesn't make a difference to the final result. These players, these other players are professionals. They're going to play and play their heart out for the country either way. Um, James wants to get fit as quickly as possible to play for these fans that are now sending him death threats. So, you know, a lot of these fans or so-called fans are just not very smart and don't really think about the fact that they're sending messages to real people as well. Not to make light of the subject, but death threats are sort of ten a penny these days. I mean, I've even got death threats. Right, but did you ever receive or did your mother ever receive a box with a gun in it? Not to that, no, not to that degree. I'll grant you that. But then Hamas Rodriguez is slightly more famous than I am. Uh, But I... I was told after writing a piece uh, um, on The Guardian, I was told in no uncertain terms that I was not welcome in a city by, by a large number of people. Okay. Which it's not nice, but it's very easy thing for people to do these days. I was told via Twitter, basically, to. Which city was that? I don't think, I don't think it's worth naming this city. <laughs> uh, but they, the, the, the fans at that particular club told me that, uh, yeah, I was you know, to watch my back if I ever came to the city, etc. Um, and it's not nice. And I can sort of laugh about it now, but for about 24 hours, I was like, oh, yeah, that's not, that's not really cool at all. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't choose this. Well, I think that there's one thing that we can take solace from that. And obviously no one wants to read that, is that it's a, it's a lot easier to be tougher on the internet than it is to be in real life. Um, and I think a lot of these cowards are pretty happy to hide behind their keyboards. Yeah, where do you stand on it all? Is it abuse? Is it bullying? Is it just do the players need thicker skins? I think for for PK basically he it's it's uh, to say it simply I think it's his own fault. You know, um, the in 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 the football world uh, and also all the fans and so on. There are there are many people there who are um, you know sort of easily moved into one direction and uh, and and therefore I think if PK um, does all that, um, you know, sort of Catalan independence um, uh, or this sort of anti-Real Madrid, um, uh, etc. stance, then um, there are people who won't forgive him, even if he turns out fine for the national team or wins them a cup or something. <clears throat> there are still people who who will who will stay in their in their opinion um, uh, towards him. So I guess it's a never-ending story. It's it's a it's a fight that he can't win, you know. And I think he stirs it up even more into into making it worse um, with a lot of people. So um, yeah, I guess it's abuse, but unfortunately, it's part of the it's part of modern football. Everybody's got a voice somewhere, somehow today. So got to live with it, unfortunately. Hey, on a lighter note, what about what happened at, at the Ulival Stadion in uh, in Oslo, Paddy? Yeah, it's good that we get onto a bit of light. I was getting a bit morose there for a yeah, second, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah um, for, for a very brief moment there, um, San Marino were having a, a great time. I mean, uh, lost 4-1 to Norway, um, but uh, for a few minutes there were 1-1. Um, and I did, did a little bit of research just to look at sort of some, some interesting facts that come out of this game and particularly the goal, um, which was scored by um, Matthias Stefanelli. Um, so uh, pretty soon after that, his Wikipedia page was updated um, to the to describe him as 
He has recently become a legend in San Marino <laughs> after scoring their first away goal in World Cup qualifying since 2001. Factually correct at the end, but it was still removed by Wikipedia soon after because I don't know how you measure legend status in San Marino or any other country. I think scoring a goal for a San Marino game makes you a legend. I think it does, to be honest. I mean, yeah. let's sort of examine um, why this guy might be a legend now. First of all, uh, that goal, which was his first for his country, has elevated him to to the equal third uh, top scorer for his country in history. Um, so there's uh, one fella, Andy Selva, who has eight goals. Uh, he's 40, still active. Um, still he's, playing. Yeah, he's unlikely to be caught, to be honest, because then second is on two goals. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a long way to, to Andy's mark, uh, that's for sure. Um, San Marino, who are currently ranked 205th in the world, um, which isn't far from their highest ever ranking of uh, um, 191. Um, and uh, probably the, the, the thing I, I found the funniest out of all this um, was that on the Wikipedia page of the San Marino national team, um, they actually have a list of matches that San Marino did not lose. So, <laughs> Is that um, empty? No, there's five. Yeah, <laughs> there's five. So it's, uh, it's you know, it's this... It's a it's a really nice you know Twitter sort of erupted social media erupted when this goal went in regardless of the result I mean it was their sixth goal in fifty international so um, it doesn't come around that often um, we saw a, a nice video of the Norwegian commentators when that goal went in um, so it's a, it's a it's a it's a good little story and I think they um, despite the fact that they ended up losing four one it was a it was a nice day for San Marino and, and San Marino San, San Marino's football yeah. Okay, and the Twitter feed was hilarious. Too. Yeah, 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 exactly. They didn't they didn't worry about uh, swear words or expletives on that one. No, I think when they, that's, once that goal went in, you know, passion they, took over. They went for it. Yeah. Do they have any professional players in the team, or are they all kind of um, a, and... a couple of them? Um, but to be honest, I think all but sort of three, I think from memory, are playing in the San San Marino league. Um, the, the guy I mentioned before, Andy Zelva, sort of bounced around between. Serie C and Serie D and stuff like that. So they've had a, a guys who have made a living out of it, but um, by and large, these are you know a little bit like Gibraltar. They're they're full time in in other professions um, as opposed to their football. Another interesting story of the week took place in Iraq. Yeah, um, you know, seeking a little bit of luck, um, they decided to slaughter a sheep in the uh, in the lead up to the to the match against Thailand. Of course, a country that's close to Fabian's heart. Um, it, uh, it seemed it to work? work. Yeah, it seemed yeah. to work. They, they won 4-0. Um, included in that in the highlights of this match is probably one of the worst misses you'll see from a um, from a footballer uh, for Iraq, but they still managed to, to win 4-0 um, through four goals from um, Abdurrahim as well. So, um, yeah, it seems to work. I don't know how many more sheep they've got left, but it, it could be you know, a bit of a tradition now, a pre-game well, tradition. Shakhtar uh, Karagandhi once sacrificed a sheep before their Champions League match with Celtic. How'd that go? They won 2-1. There you go. Or was yeah. it 2-0, 2-1, 2-0? Why aren't more people doing this? The moral of the story is sacrifice more sheep yeah, if you, if you exactly. want to win. Yeah, that's what I would that's say. That's the message for all the vegans out there. <laughs> <laughs> With that nasty, unfashionable international football uh, back in its box for now, it's time to get back to the good old club stuff. And next Monday gives us one of the more intriguing fixtures of the Premier League season so far. Liverpool v Manchester United. We'll be talking to Nina Kaiser from Anfield Index in a few minutes. So for now, let's concentrate on Man United. Uh, Fabian, United are seven games in, they're sixth spot. Mm -hmm. Their last six games have seen them win three, lose two, draw one. It's been a bit of an up and down season so far. Yeah. Um, 
It's been difficult, but you have to remember where United are coming from. You know, they, you know, under Moyes, they were very bad. Under Van Hal, they looked okay, and then they finished very bad. And so Mourinho has taken over a... He took over an okay team, I would say. And he spent a lot of money. But when you spend a lot of money and bring in a lot of new players, you know, you have to work on team chemistry. And I don't think Mourinho has found his favorite or his best 11 yet. Um, and I think the main problem as it has been at United for so many years is the midfield. He now has a 100 million man in Paul Pogba, but who does he pair him with? He tried Fellaini. That didn't really work because, well, Fellaini's not very good. Um, and he's tried Herrera, which looked okay. He's tried Rooney. Um, and so I think once Mourinho figures out what his two or three midfielders, who his two or three midfielders are, he can kind of plan the rest of the team around them, which hasn't happened yet. So the the midfield has been the biggest disappointment for you? Yeah, I mean, Pogba in particular. I mean, he's had, you know, he scored a goal. He's he's had kind of flashes. His first game was very good. He was everywhere. Um, but he's been inconsistent and it might not be his fault, but he cost 100 million euros or over 100 million euros. And you expect much, much more because of that price tag. Who would you actually have next to him, Fab? If you're, you're Mourinho, um, you're picking the team for this uh, for this Monday. Who would you put next to him? I think Herrera looks quite good next to him because Herrera does also, you know, he offers a lot going forward, but he offers more than Pogba in defense. He can, you know, put in a tackle. He he shows a lot more effort than Pogba on the defensive end. But what a lot of fans have been crying out for is that that defensive midfielder, that kind of linchpin behind the two midfielders, so playing a 4-3-3 rather than playing with a proper 10. Um, and a lot of fans have been calling for Blint to play that position because of his passing range and because of the, you know, he, he's played brilliantly as a center back, but I feel like Bailly and Smalling are now set as the center backs. So where do you put Blint? He has played left back a bit, but I think in that position just in front of the defense, that gives Pogba the freedom as well to roam and to attack and play further forward. And also he doesn't have to worry too much about playing on in defense for United. What about Morgan Schneiderlin? Whatever happened to him? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, uh, don't ask me. I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I was hoping that he would be that player, but um, you know, his performances haven't really been up to scratch. I can't really remember a game where he's been as good as he was for Southampton. So he's definitely an option, but I think I'd like to see Blint play there first. Doesn't seem to have the confidence of Mourinho at all, Schneiderlin. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, he's a he's a good he's a good player, and he's someone. If you if you're trying to build a title winning team, a good you know you need good players on the bench as well. So maybe that's just his spot at United. Okay, enough of the negatives. What's in, what's impressed you so far? My favorite player this season, or my favorite new player this season, is Eric Bailly. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just been very very solid. He's that that hard man that the defense has kind of lacked. Uh, he looked very very good with Blint as well. Blint being the more ball playing defender, and then. Um, Bailly being kind of like the bad cop to Blint's good cop um, but you know Blint had that shocker against City got dropped now Smalling's back in Smalling's a great player too um, but we've seen with recent transfers as well how difficult it is for defenders especially to to get acclimated to the Premier League um, you know at United you've had you, you know Vidic looked quite bad for the first few months Evra, Evra as well mm -hmm. Heinze 
I mean, look at Darmian. He looked good and then has just disappeared and looks to be on his way out in January. So it's been very impressive. It's still early days, of course. I mean, Darmian looked good last season as well. But Bailly has really impressed me. And Ibra? Yeah, I mean, Ibra is Ibra, you know. He he scored quite a few goals already. He um, He had a lot of chances against Stoke. The finishing wasn't quite there. But like Mourinho said, they looked very, very good and fluid. And they were actually creating a lot of chances, which is almost more important than finish them. Of course, you have to score goals to win. But you want to get in the right positions to do so as well. Mourinho called that his team's best performance of the season. The yeah. Draw, the draw against Stoke. Um, I think it was one of the best performances. Just the result, of course, wasn't the best. 1-1. But um, just the fluid movement and... How many chances, you know, Pogba coming in from, from deeper and, and, you know, shooting from range. You had Ibra. Um, it, it just looked very fluid. And I think he's right in saying that it was one of the best performances. Yeah. Okay. How, um, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but how would you like to see the team line up then against Liverpool? Well, I think Mourinho needs to decide whether he wants to go the Moyes way and kind of uh, counter. Nobody wants to go the Moyes right. way, <laughs> right? But he he did this. He did this against Leicester in the in the um, Charity Shield, where he um, he played faster wingers to counteract their speed. And Liverpool is also a very fast team, so he's kind of have to, he has to decide whether he wants to counteract Liverpool's strengths and kind of neutralize them, or if he wants to play the United way, if you will, and play to our strengths and force Liverpool to try and neutralize us, which is what I'd prefer to see. I think Mata has done quite well against Liverpool in the past, and he might be good on the right instead of a quicker player, and then maybe play a quicker player on the left like Rashford or um, or a direct player like Martial. Um, and then, of course, Rooney is the big question mark. Does Rooney play? Does he stay on the bench? I mean, it's such a big fixture. You have to consider the experience and the leadership that you know Rooney brings to the team. And it's at Anfield. Exactly. Um, it might not be a pretty game. You might. It probably won't be a pretty game. You might need a player like Rooney, the captain, to kind of like drag the team over the finish line and get that dirty win. Lovely. Oh, did you want to add something, Casper? Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's um, he's definitely going to go for some really fast wing play because uh, and, and sort of counter-attacking approach because that's the only sort of big weakness of Liverpool's team and has been the weakness of Klopp's Dortmund team, this very high uh, gig-pressing line. Uh, and basically you can... Uh, you can overrun them um, on occasions. So, so I think that's where they're going to try and, and pounce. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. It's just over a year since Jurgen Klopp took over Liverpool. And here to talk about that and the upcoming match against Manchester United is Nina Kauser from Anfield Index. Nina, I'm guessing you and many other Liverpool fans have enjoyed these, these past 12 months. Uh, yes, I think it's fair to say we've been pleasantly surprised with the uh, the results, considering the calibre of, of opposition and the brand of football, um, it's a very good time to be a Liverpool fan. What's been the What's been the main changes from the previous regime? Oh, um, just so much. Uh, I think the biggest positive for me has been um, Jurgen Klopp being very smart in the transfer window. You know, buying players that we need rather than just buying players and hoping they'd be the answer. And I'm looking at people like Christian Benteke there. Um, initially, Liverpool fans weren't overly pleased with the transfer window. They kind of wanted marquee signings and 
we've got players from Southampton in the past and we've been scarred and traumatised and, you know, Sadio Mane received a fair bit of criticism, myself included, and uh, how wrong were we? Um, he's so important to... Could be a cult hero and just the brand of football, the exciting football back end. I think the biggest thing that a Liverpool fan for me, what Jurgen Klopp has done is he's uh, sort of reunited all the fan base. It's a good time to be a Liverpool fan and even greater going to Anfield and watching Liverpool. Interesting that you mentioned the transfer window because one of the more interesting things that, that Klopp has done there is that Liverpool are no longer built around like a single talisman. It's not built mm. around. It's not built around a Gerrard. It's not built around like a Suarez, and and mm. yet and yet he's still managing to get these great results. You know, for me again, that is probably the biggest positive. If you kind of look at our goals, we've got so many, but they're evenly distributed. I mean, if I go back to say two seasons, even last season, we were so heavily reliant on Daniel Sturridge, and his fitness is a big concern. And here we are. And he's not scored a single league goal. And, you know, it's pretty um, regular now that he actually starts on the bench. He doesn't even get a look in. I, I just think it's a very, very good time to be a local fan. And, you know, exciting because we have players that interchange and can play different positions. And there's a goal in anyone. I mean, Dejan Lovren gets in on, on the action. I mean, enough said. <laughs> Nina, um, uh, glad you brought up Sturridge. I was going to ask about him. There's, you know, there's probably a little bit of a growing expectation that mm-hmm. he's he's getting closer and closer to the to the exit door. What sort of future do you see for Sturridge? He's, you know, as you said, he's probably more utilised from the bench these days. But also, I mm-hmm. think his attitude clashes a little bit with Klopp uh, in certain times as well. Yeah, uh, he's, you know, <laughs> there's no denying that Daniel Sturridge is an absolutely phenomenal striker. And um, he, he does divide um, the fan base. You know, there's some that think that he should start and some think he should be sold. I mean, I adore the guy. I think he's um, exceptional. He, you know, he is our most lethal striker. And, you know, like I said, he's great to have on as an option. I think Firmino right now does the job more and he's more suited to the system. But um, I think it'll all depend on the striker. Um, I don't think um, Jurgen Klopp will be in a hurry to sell him because, again, it's you know, it's, he strengthens the bench. He's an option to bring off if, if needs be, if there's an injury or whatnot. But it, I think it all depends on the striker. And people are actually now suggesting that he might be gone in the summer. But I hope not because it would pain me to see him sort of see him tear it up at, say, Arsenal. Because for me, after Aguero, he's the best striker in the league. Who's been the player to benefit most uh, under Klopp, do you think, Nina? Is it Lalana or E.G. Henderson? I'm going to have to say Lallana. Uh, I just think he's come on leaps and bounds. He's the player that really frustrated me under Brendan Rodgers. Would go missing in big games. Uh, wouldn't score an awful lot of goals. Wouldn't really create an awful lot of assists. Spent too long on the ball. Did want too many Cruyff turns. And, you know, those little bugbears of mine have slowly been ironed out. And you see the impact he has last season. Albeit he didn't get an awful lot of assists, but we looked so much more threatening and attacking with him on the pitch. He just had this um, intelligence sort of to kind of occupy defenders, pull them out of the game, give them space for Coutinho and Firmino. This season, he's been moved slightly deeper. He's playing more in the midfield of three with Henderson and Wijnaldum. And uh, initially, I was I didn't think he could adapt to that role. I didn't think he had a skill set. But again, he's got assists. He's scored two goals now. And, you know, for me, he's the most improved and I can really see Klopp liking him and he is a very much Jurgen Klopp kind of player because of all the pressing. 
Um, moving on to the the game against Manchester United on um, Monday evening at Anfield, John Aldridge was writing in the Echo the other day, and he said the fact that Jose Mourinho is Manchester United manager adds extra spice to a fierce rivalry. It also means that beating them would be even more sweeter. Is that a sentiment you agree with? Yeah. Um, if you know, like, if you think Jurgen Klopp is so suited to Liverpool because of you know the working class and you know just being. Um, a really likable guy and, you know, we kind of suit him with very much like Dortmund, in, if you will. Um, naturally, I um, I despise Man United and I despise this manager. Um, there's history there between him and Rafa Benitez at his Chelsea days. It's just ingrained in us to not like Jose Mourinho and, you know, to beat him whilst he manages that club will be double sweeter. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah we, we we thought that might be the case with you being a Liverpool mm. fan uh, um, yeah any any sort of selection headaches for club? oh um, I don't think um, there'll be a selection headache I mean you guys might be shocked at this but there's a fair few Liverpool fans who are calling for Mignolet back in nets because um, Carries has had two um, league starts for Liverpool and he's looked a little shaky which is given because he's obviously a new keeper adapting to a new league with new defenders it's, it's a given. Uh, for me, he starts uh, hands down. I think the only uh, conundrum that Klopp will have is uh, Ginny Wijnaldum has picked up a hamstring injury. I don't know how long he'll be out for. But I think he'll definitely miss the United um, game. So I think that could potentially mean Emery Jean walks back into starting eleven. Lalana, uh, we're not sure about him because obviously he, he got injured against uh, Swansea. And I think it might just be a bit of a shift up. I think we might have to go with uh, the, the same back four of Milner, uh, Lovren, Matip and Klein. That speaks for itself with carries in the back and the midfield three would have to be Henderson, Jean, uh, Coutinho, I assume, would have to play the eight position. And um, I'm assuming it'll be Mane, Firmino and Daniel Sturridge gets um, the, the, um, the nod if, if Lallana's not, in, not injured. Nino, we just um, we wanted to try a little bit of a Q and A actually ahead of the game. We're lucky enough to have yourself um, in this week, and, and also Fabian, who's a um, you know a, a very honest Manchester United fan. So it's nice to have a back in here. I just actually wanted to ask a few questions, um, just after sort of short answers here, maybe even one word if you think you don't need to elaborate anymore. But um, okay. so I might just what I'll do is I'll ask the question. I'll uh, I'll get Fabian's answer first, and then turn to you after that if that's all right. So yeah. the, the first question would be um, if there was one person from the uh, from the opposition that you would that you could take and put into you know your team who would that be fab oh um probably mané just because of how well he started for liverpool and um you know we haven't really figured out our our winger situation yet so that's why cool and uh, nina who would you take Oh, so tricky. I'd probably take Mkhitaryan. I mean, I don't think he's got an awful lot of game time under Man United and this is the guy that, um, he's the one that got away from Liverpool. Obviously, he chose um, Jurgen Klopp and Dortmund over us and uh, I think they should be reunited. So that's probably the one player I would take. Sure, sure. Um, match winner. Um, Fab, who do you see as the match winner across either team? Wayne Rooney, if he starts. Um, <laughs> if he doesn't start, then it's got to be Zlatan, just because Zlatan is the best player out of the 22 players that will be on the pitch. This is where it gets good. Nina, what's your uh, response to that one? Uh, in terms of Liverpool, I think Firmino and um, 
Coutinho's always got it in him to score a magical worldie, so those are maybe the Brazilian boys. Lovely. Um, so we might try and spice up a little bit now. Uh, who would win this fight? Uh, Henry Mkhitaryan or Philip Coutinho? Um, Fab, we'll start with you. It's got to be Mkhitaryan. He's got like, what, three inches on Coutinho? I don't know how tall Coutinho is, but definitely the United man. And Nina? If I lend Coutinho my heels, I, I thank the <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, okay, uh, this is, I'm pretty sure I know what Nina's answer to this one is, but if you can try and take a little bit of a backward step on this one. Um, who would you rather babysit your kids, Mourinho or Klopp? I'm going to have to go with Klopp just because he seems like a fun guy and I actually don't like Mourinho. <laughs> Nina? It's going to have to be Jürgen Klopp, hasn't it? Yeah, I thought that would be the case, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, And last one, um, before we take the prediction, um, would you take a swap between Mamadou Sako and Bastian Schweinsteiger? What's what's the point of the swap? Um, They're not paying for their current club, so... (laughs) No, I wouldn't. Dina? You know, if uh, Schweinsteiger was maybe five years younger... Maybe, <laughs> but for me, I'd stick with Mamdi Okay, fair enough. And even they both won't play, so. Yeah. <laughs> and last one, uh, just the predictions, guys. Fab, for you? Uh, 2-1 United. And Nina? He's a bit optimistic. I'm going 3-1 <laughs> Liverpool and um, <laughs> we will concede on, on a corner and Zlatan will probably score. I gave you the right of reply with this one, Nina, so we've been quite nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> That was Nina Kauser from Anfield Index. You have a kid, Casper. Who would you prefer uh, babysitting little Carrie? Well, I mean, I, I prefer Jurgen Klopp as a person by a mile, by a long distance to Mourinho. But if I want my kid to sleep, I'd rather have <laughs> Mourinho. Because uh, Klopp's going to, you know, go, go headbanging with my baby through, through the flat, you know. Yeah. I think it would be very counterproductive. I, I could see Klopp having the kid up late at night, letting them drink sort of fizzy pop and yeah. that sort of thing. The fun uncle sort of thing. And then yeah. you get home with Mourinho and he's like, he's in bed. Yeah. yeah. It would be, it'd be, everything would be organised. <laughs> exactly. He, like, yeah. You know, he wouldn't have taken more yeah. chocolate than he should have. Yeah. yeah. That sort of thing. Exactly. He would be toilet trained by the time he got home. Yeah, yeah, he would. Now, every week we ask for questions from our listeners and we ask our listeners to get in touch, give them some questions, see what they have to say. And lo and behold, we actually have one this <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How funny is that? Yeah. So it comes from Emiliano K. Sheshu. I hope I've pronounced that surname properly. Shehu? Was, was this on Twitter? It was on Facebook. On Facebook, okay. Yeah. yeah. At One Football. Yeah. Uh, and Emiliano would like to know whose side are we on? Klopp or Mourinho? Oh, well, it's, it's the theme, isn't it? I, yeah. yeah. I personally, I actually think they both lend a lot to football. Um, you know, Mourinho is obviously a prickly character. Not a lot of people like him. I admire what he's done and I admire the persona he's created for himself, even if it has got a lot of people offside. Um, he's had a lot of success and I think that's down to um, the, the personality that he has, whereas Klopp is obviously a lot more likeable, um, a lot more um, charismatic, um, but has also um, found a way to sort of lend that to his football. So... I'm sitting on the fence. Oh, that's the, by yeah. the end of that, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm on the fence. Ugh. Okay, Klopp. Thank you. Yeah, Casper? <laughs> I'm on Klopp's side. I mean, being German, um, that's one thing, but also for the reasons Paddy stated. Um, and um, although I tend to prefer United over Liverpool, I kind of 
like where Liverpool's story is going at the moment under Klopp. So um, I'm on Klopp's side. I think we know Fab's answer. Yeah, I mean, in regards to the game, obviously Mourinho. Um, very disappointed that Klopp ended up going to Liverpool. I would have liked to see him at United. So I'm going to have to say Mourinho. I'd just like a hug from Klopp. He That's... loves hugs. He, you know, you, you wouldn't be alone in getting a hug from him. They're not... He's almost a little too liberal with them sometimes. I just look so comfortable in his arms. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would say. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Casper, Fab and Nina from Anfield Index, as well as our producer, Damien. If you have anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at OneFootball. Thanks for listening. I